Welcome everyone to the College Parent Podcast. My name is Jordan Anderson. And I'm Griffin Gardner. And we want to thank you for joining us today. On today's episode, we'll be interviewing Ben Cooper, who is the founder of Prelaw Pro, and discussing if law school is right for your student. Let's go ahead and dive in. Welcome, Ben, to the College Parent Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for being here with us today. Um, do you just want to tell us a little bit about Prelaw Pro and what you do over there? Absolutely. So I grew up in Australia, as you can probably hear from the accent. Uh, I practiced law there for a number of years and then relocated to the UK. And I spent uh, almost five years working in a litigation firm there in London and ended up over here in the US, uh, based in Texas. And I spent uh, five and a half years running the pre-law program at Baylor University. And when I left Baylor, I started a firm called Pre-Law Pro. And it's a law school admissions and career consulting firm. And really what that means is I help people explore the law, get into great law schools all over the country. But then I also do a lot of career consulting that spans the spectrum of helping students figure out what to do and how to get there, but also professional readiness training and helping young professionals either grow their current career or pivot into a new one. Hey, Ben, it's great to have you. How Thank you a, so much for having me. How can a student know if law school is right for them? Yeah, that's a question that comes up a lot, and I think it really boils down to how well they've actually explored the profession. It's really easy to look at it at a surface level, especially when law is one of those professions that's very often portrayed in the media, you know, in television shows and movies, and you see aspects of it and reflections of it. But if you really want to get a sense of whether law is in fact a good fit for you, you need to properly understand what it is that lawyers actually do and what they don't do. And then knowing the difference is really important. I think it really comes down to students being willing to kind of put themselves out there a little bit and talk to people who are doing the kinds of things that they're interested in doing and finding out what is their actual day-to-day life like? What is, what is the kind of work that they do on a daily basis? Um, how did they get there? You know, did they get this degree and that degree? Now, in the context of law school, sorry, of being a lawyer, you obviously need to go to law school, but I think that general principle is applicable to almost any profession. Like find the people who are doing the thing you're interested in and talk to them. And don't talk to just one, talk to 20, talk to 30. And I think students are often really surprised at how willing people are to talk to them. And, and to explain to them, hey, this is how I got to where I am. Here are some mistakes that I made. Here are some lessons I learned so that the students don't have to learn those same hard lessons themselves. But I think being exposed to the reality of any profession is the best way to make a choice as to whether it's for you or not. Well, great. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, so when a student decides that they think that law school is right for them, say they're a freshman or a sophomore in college who are interested in law, what should they be doing and what should they be majoring in? Yeah, this these two questions come up a lot and I think they kind of interplay nicely with that first question. So let me put a kind of a, a link between the two. So in addition to getting a feel for what lawyers actually do in terms of talking to people, you also need to get a sense of whether or not you like to develop the skills that we know you need to do well in order to succeed in law school and as a lawyer. And you need to get a sense of whether the academic tasks and the intellectual tasks that lawyers do every day are the kinds of things that you enjoy doing right now. So for example, coming to the major question, 
there is this persistent myth, and it really is a myth, that if you want to go to law school, you have to be a political science major. Now, there are a lot of political science majors who end up going to law school, but you absolutely do not, 100% do not need to be a political science major to be a really competitive, successful candidate for law school. Every year, I will have three or four uh, clients who are dance, theatre, or musical performance. And you might think, well, how on earth are they competitive applicants? Well, what you'll find is law schools want people from a variety of different academic backgrounds. But what those students in particular have done is that they've cultivated the skills that we know you need. How do we know that? Well, the American Bar Association has given us very clear guidance on what kinds of skills we need to see in applicants in order to have some confidence that they're going to do well in law school. Reading, writing, critical thinking, uh, research, editing, the ability to work well with others, strong written and verbal communication skills. And as you listen to these skills, you recognize you can develop them in political science, sure, but you can also develop them in philosophy, in economics, in accounting, in business, in biology, in um, physics, if you plan your curriculum well. So the short answer to that question is, don't choose political science because you think you have to. Choose it for the following two reasons. You're interested in it and it suits your skill set. So when your student is trying to figure out what on earth they should major in, my first piece of advice would be don't make them feel like they have to make a choice before they've even got through the first semester of college. You know, they've got a lot more time than they actually realize. Your average first-year law student isn't 23. They're 26, they're 27 years of age. So the first thing is in a career trajectory, they actually have a lot more time than they think. When it comes to choosing a major, they might think they want to do X, but once they've actually gotten through a semester and been exposed to some of that content, they might realize, actually, I want to do something else, but I just don't know what it is. So one of the two things you want to ask them is, what what do you feel an interest in? What are you, what are you drawn towards? Because if your student is interested in that content, when it's Saturday and they have to choose between going to the football game and staying home and getting that paper written, if they're interested in the content, it's going to make the, the decision a little bit easier, okay? The other thing is aptitude. What are, what are they good at? Um, you might have a student who's really interested in Russia but isn't great at second languages. So the idea of picking up Russian as a major might not be the best idea because they have the interest but they don't necessarily have the aptitude. Aptitude and uh, competence is going to breed confidence. And we want our students to have that academic confidence in their own abilities. What you'll also find is that when you pair interest and aptitude, you will often find opportunities for your students to cultivate that skill set that we referred to above, reading, writing, critical thinking. Now, if the answer to the interest and aptitude question is a major that is a little less traditional and is less focused on the skills that the American Bar Association has identified. For example, dance, theater, musical performance. You can look to pair that major with a second major or a minor that helps them cultivate some of those skills. 
Um, or you can look within that major and say, is there some opportunities that I'm going to have to develop some of these other skills? The other thing is just because you're in, you know, quote unquote, a traditional pre-law major doesn't necessarily mean that your skills, in fact, as a college student, I guarantee you, your skills are not where they need to be by the time you get to law school. So if you're getting to college and you think, you know what, I'm pretty good at writing, uh, I'm pretty good at reading comprehension, but my research skills aren't great, or they aren't where they should be, then look for opportunities within your major to take some classes that challenge you, that make you a better student because you've had to really stretch yourself. Don't just cruise, because if you do, you may be able to do fairly well because you just have that natural aptitude. But if you don't stretch yourself, if you don't push yourself, law school is going to kick your butt uh, because it, it does for everybody. But what you can use those four years in college to do is to develop that skill set. So I, I hope I hope that answers the question in terms of major choice. What are the what are the things that freshmen and sophomores should be thinking about? You know, there's really four things that freshmen and sophomores need to be con uh, considering. And it's not the law school admissions test. That is something that, um, you know, is really in their focus in junior year and onwards. But what I say to people is that the journey to a legal career is like a series of doorways, one after the other. You can't try and walk through doorway six unless you've walked through doorways one to five first. So what are the four things? First thing is GPA. It is so much easier for students to build a GPA and protect it than it is to play catch up at the back end. Now, law schools do not expect people to be perfect. The freshman year is a tough year for a lot of people. It's a new expectation in the classroom, new workload. You are going to have a roommate. That might be a great situation or it might be a really frustrating one where maybe you don't study in an ideal environment. If that first year isn't great, don't panic. But what we ultimately want to see is a strong academic performance in those first two years so that it's there, it's built, and all you have to do is keep the wolves at bay and you can you know, hold that pretty solid mark. The second thing and a quick quick note on that, if you are a student who's struggling, you know, a lot of universities have really fantastic resources for you to go and get some help where you need it. And a lot of the time what you'll find is it's really not a reflection of your academic ability. It's a reflection of the system that you use when you study. It's note-taking problems. It's issues with time management, sleep management, taking care of yourself. So there are a lot of resources to unpack what might be giving you some academic problems that doesn't necessarily reflect your academic ability. Uh, the next thing we need to talk about is building your resume. If you try and build a resume in the last year of college, you're going to have a really hard time getting anything with meat on your resume. So what we need to be doing is we need to be getting involved, you know, get involved in some student organizations. Um, they don't have to be academic, but if they are, that's a really good thing. Um, but you want to look to serve first because you're not just going to show up at an organization and be on the executive board. You have to serve for a little while first, prove your interest and commitment, and then those opportunities are going to flow. Uh, we need to be using our summers really well. Uh, there should, shouldn't be what I call PlayStation summers, summers where you're just chilling out at home and doing nothing. Every single summer, 
if, if you're a student listening or if you're a parent listening, every single summer you need to be doing what I call LEV. You need to be learning. So you're either taking summer classes somewhere, you're earning. So that could be working at Chick-fil-A, that could be working in a law firm. Although on that note, there is no expectation from law schools that law school applicants have worked in law firms beforehand. There is not that expectation because they know it's actually very difficult for undergraduates to get that kind of experience because they're competing with law students who have more experience, more knowledge, and if they like them, they don't have to wait as long to hire them. So earning in some capacity. Fast food is not something you should turn your nose up at. It actually says a lot about you. It says you can work as part of a team. You can take direction. Anyone who's worked in food service will know that hungry people are sometimes the hardest people to deal with. So you can you can deal with pressure. And there's a lot of really good things that having fast food service on your resume says about you. So learning, earning, or volunteering. You are not expected to do all three. Just be doing at least one every summer. So if you can't take classes for whatever reason and you don't have a job, go and find the puppy shelter and spend 10 hours a week playing with puppies and there you've got your volunteering. So that's that's really what we want to do with regards to our resume. If you're not already doing this, create a Word document and every semester just keep a list of everything you've done. Dates, times, material information. So that when it comes to putting together your resume, you don't have to look back and go, what on earth did I do two years ago? You've got it all written down. And then it's not a matter of just copying and pasting, but you do get to pick the very best items that say the most about you. And then they will go into a resume for your job hunting or ultimately for law school. And then a final word on resumes is just remember prior experience builds future experience. So if you're a freshman, it's not too soon to be thinking about the summer. And you might get a job that you think is not quote unquote great for law school. Remember that that first summer is going to be the foundation that opens up doors the second summer. So take the opportunities that come and just remember that you don't start at the top. You have to build your experience over time. So getting good grades, building our resume. And the third one is getting to know faculty. You or somebody else is paying a significant amount of money for you to get an education. I'm a strong believer in the idea that if you graduate and you don't have meaningful relationships with at least three professors, you have wasted some of the opportunity that is a university education. These are people who love the area that they're in. They're experts in their field. And once you leave college, even if you come back as a graduate student, you're never going to have the opportunities to interact with such a diverse number of academic experts where you can knock on their door and sit down and talk about, you know, obscure areas of interest like you can when you're a college student. So go to the professor's office hours, especially in classes where you're struggling, but even in ones that you're enjoying. And if, if you're really thriving in that class, read what's in the class, read what's on the curriculum uh, in the syllabus, and then go read something that isn't. And go and talk to your professor about it. Engage with them. Give them opportunities to see your brain at work. And then if you have an opportunity to take them again, awesome. If you don't, don't ignore them. Remember, that's a relationship. It's like a plant. You have to kind of water it over time. 
those relationships will develop. Now, what is what has that got to do with law school? Two primary things. When professors have opportunities for undergraduate research, if they know you and they know the quality of your thinking and your intellectual ability, you're going to be at the top of the list. When they say, hey, I'm working on a book, I need some research. Would you be interested in working as a research assistant? And now all of a sudden you have research work that you can put on your resume. They're also going to be connected to industry. So when it comes time to look for a job, if they know you and they appreciate what you bring to the table, then all of a sudden there's an opportunity to get some job opportunities that may not have existed otherwise. And then finally, if you're going to go to grad school, especially law school, the schools will expect letters of recommendation to come from professors, not from internship supervisors, although they can be, they can be good recommenders. But ideally you want professors because they can say, hey, I've seen this person in the classroom and I can give you some really clear examples about their ability in the classroom. And, and on that note, in the show notes, there's going to be a PDF that you can go to and get a, a free guide on letters of recommendation for law school. It's applicable to almost grad any grad program, but it will walk you through how to cultivate some of these relationships. So getting good grades, building our resume, um, getting to know our professors. And then the fourth one is kind of a restatement of my answer to that first question. Get to know people who are doing the things you're interested in, whether it's law or business, whatever the case may be, because you're going to get great insight, great information. And then what you'll find is those conversations that go really well will often evolve into second and third conversations. And those second and third conversations very easily evolve into mentorship. And mentors with time become sponsors that open up doors and opportunities that you could not walk to, doors you couldn't open on your own without them. So, you know, focus on the grades, cultivate that resume. Remember, it takes time. Get to know your professors in a genuine way. And then pick up the phone and start engaging with people doing the kinds of things that you're interested in. Uh, the last things I'm hoping that you could speak about would be, you've talked about how students know if law school is right for them. How can they figure out which program, which law school that they should end up applying to, as well as how can parents support them in this journey of like uh, deciding if law school is the field they want to go into, how to get those LEVs during the summer, and then ultimately how to bring it all home and figure out which program to apply to and really make a strong first impression for law school. That's a, a fantastic question, and I'll, I think if it's if it's okay with you, I'll deal with the last part first. So what can parents be doing in terms of helping students figure out how to get those LEV points and then helping them you know, figure out what to value when it comes to school choice? Uh, the first thing I think is remember that it's the student who's going to have to go to law school, who's going to have to do all of that work, and who's going to have to put it all together. So you have to give them a vote. If they feel like they're going because you want them to go, that motivation to persist and to do well and ultimately to use the law uh, as a career is, is unlikely to stick as well as you might hope. Um, in terms of helping them get some of that direction and, and get some of these LEVs that I mentioned, you really have to make sure that your student has cultivated an attitude of being a self-starter. If you don't give them opportunities to do some of this themselves, their self, sorry, what you'll find is 
they don't get as far as you had hoped. You need to cultivate within them a sense of drive that is self-motivated. And the analogy I love to use with people is is eggs. You know, you can you can boil an egg for too long. And students who have been put under too much pressure for too long, too early in their careers, often get to college almost burned out. And so they don't have that self-starting attitude that maybe they had as a junior or a sophomore in, in high school. If you don't put them under enough pressure, then they never really reach their full potential. And so it's this difficult balance to strike. Um, by all means, connect them and help them get connected, but to some degree you have to allow them to make mistakes that might mean missing out on some opportunities early so that they learn the consequences of not being a self-starter. And I know that is sometimes a really difficult thing for parents to watch and to allow to happen, but a little bit of pain at the front end can save a lot of unnecessary debt and difficulty at the back end. Uh, and that kind of comes back to the, the question of school choice. The US News uh, and World Report rankings are uh, used very heavily uh, from a consumer standpoint when it comes to choosing an undergraduate institution, and they're equally used when it comes to choosing a law school. But what I would say to parents and to potential law students is simply this. Those rankings take into account a lot of factors that have very little to do with whether or not what you're getting is in fact the best thing for you. Uh, and there's you know plenty of commentary in, you know, in the interwebs uh, about this issue. But what I would say to you is this. Prestige is in many ways a sales technique. There is a lot that's in the structural way of uh, those rankings are put together that perpetuates essentially the status quo. And I see too many students choosing schools based solely on rankings, which means they often end up at schools where they don't do as well as they could have, that aren't an ideal fit, and that end up leaving them with just massive amounts of student debt that could have been avoided. So the answer on how to choose a law school, that is a very um, long and complicated answer. But what I would say to anyone who's going through this process now is simply this. Look at a school and ask yourself, what happens to the graduates from this particular school? How many of them are getting a job as a lawyer when they graduate? Um, how many people from that school are passing the bar exam? in the state that you're interested in, or at least in the state that the school is located. And you can find all this by going to, you know, various ABA, um, American Bar Association um, sources where you can find all this information on all of these schools. But what you're ultimately asking yourself is, if I invest three, three years and a substantial amount of effort and money, which school is likely to give me the highest return on my investment? And you might say, well, surely it's the highest ranked school. Well, not necessarily, because not everybody at Columbia Law School gets a six-figure job. But the cost of attendance for 2022, based on the school's own estimates, is more than $330,000. You may have a very good outcome going somewhere else where you're likely to be towards the top of the class and where you're graduating with a lot less debt, because... Unlike an undergraduate institution, law schools grade on a bell curve. 
which means there's only a certain number of people who get A's. And most people are going to be B's and C's, and some people are south of that. Some of these schools have massive classes. You know, Harvard and Georgetown, you know, five, 600 students in a class. Now, if you got into one of these schools and you planned things correctly, you should have some full tuition scholarships on the table. And those schools are the schools where statistically you should be towards the top of the class. And class placement is a really important factor when it comes to getting jobs between um, first year and second year of law school and second and third year of law school, 1L and 2L, 2L and 3L, as they're called in, the, in that context. And so um, even, even schools that don't rank their class, the, the firms and the employers can tell pretty much where you sit based on your GPA. And your LSAT score is used in part because it is a very good predictor of what your first year grades are likely to be. And so you have to step back and say, where am I likely to do the best? And I, I use an example that is just an example. It's not, hey, this can happen to everybody. But I know somebody who went to a law school that's currently ranked outside of the top 100. And they looked at that school, they'd been admitted there, and they looked at some of their other options. And they were far more expensive at more highly ranked schools. And they said, you know what, I want to know if someone from the school that I'm looking at has done what I want to do when I get out of law school. And he wanted to, he wanted to clerk on the state Supreme Court from, from where he was. And he contacted the career services office. And it turned out that after a conversation, someone had done what he wanted to do. And they actually put him in touch with that student. So he had that conversation. He looked at the school. He looked at his LSAT and GPA and said, you know, I think statistically, while I could go to another school that's more prestigious and pay more money, I think I can do really well at this school. And I know within the last three years, someone from this school has done what I wanted to do. So he actually chose that school, graduated with very little debt, uh, graduated number one in his class, and then went and clerked on the state Supreme Court of his choice. And then he went and worked in a, in a federal court clerking for a judge, and he ultimately ended up clerking on the U.S. Supreme Court. And, you know, by the age of 35, has had a career that most Harvard, and I really do mean most Harvard, Yale, and Stanford grads can dream of on a good day. So when it comes to school choice, think about what are the outcomes that people get from that particular school? What outcomes do you want when you get out of law school? Do they match up? What is the likely return on that investment? You know, what is it going to cost you in terms of debt and interest? Um, is it going to put you in proximity to some of the jobs that you might like in terms of, well, if you want to be in Florida, do you need to go to school in Idaho? Um, you know, that's an extreme example. But there's a whole bunch of these factors that you need to consider. Uh, and, I, you know, this is one of the things I work with my clients a lot on is helping them make smart choices. But broadly speaking, think of it as a business decision. Which school gives you the highest return on investment and resist the urge to make a choice based on how shiny and prestigious you think it is. Because when you're making $2,000 a month loan repayments, you know, 10, 15 years after law school, it's not going to feel like as an important factor as it might feel 
you know, where you are right now in life. And then finally, just a quick word to parents. I know you want your kids to have a better life than you did and you want them to have good outcomes so they can build the life you want them to be able to, to have. But also resist that urge to want your child to go to what seem like seems like the most prestigious school because it might actually not be the best fit. And students are going to do the best at the schools where they feel like they can call it home, where they can gain confidence academically and, uh, you know, just measure all those factors in as you make a decision. Thank you so much, Ben, for your time today. We've really appreciated all your advice. And I know the parents out there listening do too. Um, Ben has included a free PDF in the show notes for you all to use. It is a guide for recommendations, letters of recommendation for your students to check out. And it's a really great resource. And he has many others at Prelaw Pro. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. All right. As we wrap up this episode, we want to thank Ben for taking the time to be a guest on our show. If you want to learn more, check out our other The College Parent Podcast episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Have a great day and see you next time.